Well, let's pick up where we left off a few weeks ago with the Lord's Prayer. So if you have a Bible, let's open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in the Sermon on the Mount. I've been praying and asking as I've got the crud that's going around that the Lord would give me enough voice to just make it through the end of this. So we're praying that the Lord would help in that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, about kind of in the middle or towards the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, the way the Bible works, if you're new or you have no idea how the Bible works, the Old Testament says somebody's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts that we're in this morning, say somebody's here right now. The whole rest of the New Testament says somebody's coming again. And so we are looking at the person and work and words of Jesus Christ, the promised one, this morning as we look at Matthew 6. And again, if you have no idea how to look things up in the Bible, it's not a sin to use the table of contents. Feel free to use it. Um, and then you're going to look for Matthew in the New Testament. Look for the big number 6. That's the chapter that we're in. And then look for the little number 25. That's the verse that we're going to start in. We're going to look at those verses. While you're opening up there, I saw this great illustration that R.C. Sproul told in his commentary. He's now in heaven with the Lord, and so I think I've got the okay to use this story that he told. It was great. He said, after the Korean War, uh, South Korea was left with a large number of children who had been orphaned by the war. And so all these relief agencies started coming in to try to help out with the need, and they were helping deal with all the problems that you can imagine are associated with this massive influx of orphans. You know, these people who their parents had been killed during the war, and now what do we do with these kids? And there's all of them coming at one time. And so one of the things that they made sure that they tried to take care of, as you can imagine, is just making sure that the children could receive three square meals every single day. Let's just start with feeding them and giving them a place to sleep, and we'll move from there. And so one of those helping care for the children in one particular orphanage commented on how restless all the kids were at night, that they were not sleeping well, they were tossing and turning, they were getting up and moving around. And so this particular relief worker, she decided to go and just start asking the children questions. You know, like, what's keeping you up at night? Why are you having such a hard time? How can we help you? And one of the things that she noticed after all of these different uh, interviews and quick little questions that she had with these students, there was a recurring theme to their answer. They all basically worried about, is there going to be enough food tomorrow? We know that we've been fed up until this point, but as you can imagine, we're in a war-torn area. Their parents are now gone. They're, the people that have been providing for them are gone. Now we're in the hands of strangers. And they were staying up at night because they were worried, is there going to be enough food tomorrow? And it kept them up. And so to help the children sleep better at night, the relief workers did something that was pretty ingenious. What they did was they would put a single piece of bread in the children's hands before they went to sleep at night. Think about like an edible teddy bear. And the bread was not intended to be eaten, although we all know that it was. But what it was designed to do is the children were asked to simply hold it while they went to sleep like a little teddy bear. And what that did was that slice of bread served as a security blanket for the children. It reminded them that there is going to be plenty of food for tomorrow. We're going to give you is almost like this is a promise that's going to happen tomorrow. You got fed. You can go to sleep at night knowing there's bread for tomorrow. And they didn't need to worry. And you think about that story, and it's an incredible story. But it's something that we all struggle with at the heart level. We can all identify with this story because at the heart level, we're all asking a question. And we're asking this, is there going to be enough for tomorrow? Many in DeKalb County actually worry about food. 
Local educator Jennifer Barnett wrote in her doctoral dissertation in 2016 that 8,500 residents in our county would be considered food insecure. And I'm sure those numbers have only increased, especially as inflation is ripping and roaring in our county and in our, in our nation. And so I'd like to give a quick little plug for Backpacks of Blessing. We've got a school right up the road here. And what we do is we partner with other churches and we put food in kids' backpacks that the administrators have said that these folks don't have enough food to last them over the weekend. And so what we do is we quietly slip a bag of food into their backpack so they can eat. That happens out of this church and many other churches in the area, right up here at Valley Ed School. Also, Bread of Life that serves folks downtown. The food insecurity in our town is a real need, and we've got an opportunity to help. And so let's help. You might not worry about food insecurity, but I bet you ask a similar question about other areas of your life when you think about, is there going to be enough for tomorrow? You may ask, will the retirement funds hold up? Do I have enough life insurance? Will this relationship last? How will I or we pay for college? <laughs> I know that one. Will, will I get laid off from my job? Will my business survive? Will this car keep running? Will my parents stay together? As the sickness worsens, will I have enough time to spend with my family and leave them in good shape? You can imagine we all ask those kind of questions, and we're all wondering at the heart level, is there going to be enough for tomorrow? And we all deal with anxiety and insecurity in some form in our lives and defined it's a feeling of worry or nervousness or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. And so we all struggle with this. But the larger questions are these. What do we do with it? Where do we take it? And how does a proper understanding of the gospel and our relationship with God impact the way we think about living in an anxious world? Let's find out. Let's look to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read verses 25 to 34. A very familiar passage, a comforting passage for us this morning. Let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever, and I'm thankful for that. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help as we look to his word. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Every bit of it's true, and in these moments as we come to you, we pray that we would bring our anxiety and worry before you and find hope and rest in the gospel, hope and rest in the fact that you've not left us alone to figure life out, that you've given us your word, you've given us the spirit, you've given us each other. And so, Lord, help us to cling to those things that will never be shaken. 
And Lord, please be with me. Help my voice to last. And Lord, might you receive all glory and honor. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I will say I'm enjoying my deeper baritone this morning. Remember, as we kind of pick our study back up here in the Lord's Prayer, this prayer has traditionally been broken up into six petitions. And so a petition, again, is just a a definition for that, is we are asking God to do something. We're not demanding, we're asking, we're petitioning God. God, would you please make this happen? God, would you please do this? And may it start with us. We're not twisting his arm and demanding it. And we've already looked at the first three petitions, asking for God's name to be esteemed or hallowed, for God to reign in human hearts, thy kingdom come, and for those hearts to be more and more confirmed to God's conformed to God's revealed will and to submit to it promptly, gladly, and with trust. So hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. May what is happening in heaven come here. But now... You may have noticed that we are moving into the fourth petition. And again, Kevin DeYoung said this about the Lord's Prayer in his helpful little book. He said, the first set of three requests focus on God's glory, his name, his kingdom, and his will. The second set of three requests focus on our good, our provision, our forgiveness, and our protection. And so you may have noticed in the fourth petition, we've arrived at a hinge point. We're at the fourth petition where we are now asking God, give us this day our daily bread. And we begin to see how a proper understanding of glorifying God as the rightful sovereign. So we say, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. You are the king. Thy will be done. Not mine on earth as it is in heaven. We glorify God. But now, how does that work itself down into helping us enjoy him forever? As the first first question of the Shorter Catechism asked, what's man's chief end? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so we look and we go before the Lord and the gospel teaches us and the Bible reminds us that God is sovereign and we learn how to enjoy God forever as we trust him, even for the small stuff, even for the little stuff. And so the big question this morning that we're going to ask is, okay, what do we learn from the fourth petition of the Lord's prayer and how does it point us to the gospel? What do we learn? How does it point us to the gospel? And so two points this morning, if you're a note-taking type of person, number one, we remember our true need. That's the first point. Point two, we remember the heart of the giver. We remember our true need. We remember the heart of the giver. Two points. Let's jump into that first one. We remember our true need. Help me out here just really quickly as you do a quick exercise. Raise your hand if you did any of this, this this past week. You went to a store with stock shelves. You filled your car up with gas. You opened a faucet and got water. You ate a meal that someone else prepared. You received help from someone for something that you couldn't do on your own. You bought or used a product made by somebody else. Yeah, my hand went up for all of them, and probably yours did too, okay? And the reason why I did that short exercise, not only to break up the flow of words that are coming at you, the reason that I did that is to reveal the fact that we actually aren't as independent as we claim to be, okay? For all of our blusterous, free, and independent Americans, and yes, I love my country, but for all of our blusterous, being free and independent Americans, we're actually quite dependent on each other. And that's actually not a bad thing. That's a good thing, right? And so the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer pushes back against our perceived self-sufficiency 
by reminding us of our true dependence on God for all that we have. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. All that we have is the Lord's. Even that last breath you took is a gift. The fact that we're here, all that we have belongs to the Lord already because we live in his world and we live in his kingdom. And so notice how the passage starts in verse 25. It says, therefore... Okay, now that is, what's the therefore? So in light of what was already been said, in light of what came before, look at what's going on here. In verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24, you cannot serve two masters. Jesus' prior teaching in the Sermon on the Mount has been focused on one big question. Where is your security found? What piece of bread are you holding on to? Take a second and think about that. Where is your true security found? What piece of bread are you holding on to as you're thinking, this is the thing that's going to keep me safe. This is the thing that I'm holding tightly to. Is it your bank account? Is it your social influence? Is it your level of physical fitness? Is it your academic or athletic performance? Is it your insatiable desire to stay utterly in control of everything and everyone around you at all costs? Is it your job title? What is it? We all have something. We all have this piece of worldly bread that we hold tightly to. And we think this is the thing that's going to keep me safe. This is the thing that I'm looking to that really gives me security. And you're thinking, oh, I don't have one of those. You're lying to yourself. Of course you do. We all have something. And we instinctively know that all of that stuff is eventually going to fail us. But we spend the majority of our lives pursuing those things because we're afraid of being left out in the cold. And we doubt that God's going to take care of us. You ever doubted that? We hear about God's provision. I'm up here telling you that God provides. You're like, yeah, right. And sin makes us doubt that. And our default setting is earning and self-protection. And so what do we do? We roll our sleeves up and we get to work and we do it all by ourselves. And you know what that is? Just an echo of Genesis 3. It's the fall all over again. We doubt, is God going to take care of me? And we work ourselves to the bone. And we wear ourselves out at the heart level, clinging tightly to this stuff that we know the batteries are going to wear out. It's going to dull. It's going to break down. It's going to run out. But we think, man, this is the thing. If I could just hold on to this, then I'll be okay. I'm pleading with you and asking you on the front end. If it's anything other than Jesus, it's a fool's errand. We can fool ourselves into thinking that we only need God for the spiritual side of our lives and that we can, take our, we can take good care of ourselves in every other aspect of our lives by the sweat of our brows or the application of our intelligence and ingenuity. Now, please hear me when I say this. I'm not doing the let go and let God thing. We should have jobs and work and do and, you know, if a man will not work, he will not eat. Like, yes, I get all of that. We are called to be industrious and to use our labor and to take care of our families and do all that kind of stuff. I'm not discounting that at all. Like, not even a little bit. We're saying is that's not the end of our lives. That's not the chief goal. The chief end is glorifying God and we rest in him and understanding that all of that stuff that we do comes from God. 
And so when, when we do that, when we fool ourselves into thinking that we only need God for the spiritual side and all the like practical day-to-day stuff we can handle on our own, we give in to the greatest lie of all, that somehow God doesn't have our best interest at mind. And so we need to hedge our bets with our efforts apart from God. And we give in to that. And when we do, Satan has us right where he wants us, doubting God's provision, doubting God's sovereignty, doubting God's good heart, and instead looking to ourselves. The fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer reminds us of our true need because we come, and how does it start? Give us. Give us. The plural pronoun us puts this in its proper perspective. This is not a selfish gimme prayer. We are not selfishly demanding God to give us whatever we want. We're reminding ourselves of our dependence on God as his people, corporately. We're asking God to provide for all of his people. Please don't change the us and our in this prayer to me and my. The Lord said, give us this day our daily bread. It reminds us that we do life together. We're asking God to take care of all of his people. And we may be even a part of that provision. Give us this day our daily bread. I realize that we're only one verse into our text, but we're about to make up some ground, okay? We've gotten through the therefore, okay? It's all baked in, I promise. Did you notice Jesus' antidote for our tunnel-visioned worry and anxiety? Isn't it funny how in those moments we only focus on ourselves? We only focus in on our own problems. We only focus in on what's right in front of us. And we start to think, I'm the only one who's ever struggled with this. And so we end up closing other people out. We only focus on what's right in front of us. Did you notice the antidote for that that Jesus gave? It's amazing. You know what his antidote is? Just pick your head up and look around. Look at what God's already doing. Look around. Notice what Christ asked us to do in the passage. First point, we remember our true need. All that we have comes from the Lord. We are but needy beggars at his gate. But yet, we're his children if we trust him by faith. We remember our true need. We're not the sovereign. We're not the creator of all things. We're just a part of his creation. But yet, we remember his good heart because we forget it. That's our second point. Remember the heart of the giver. Look at what Christ has to do in the passage. Look at the birds. Look at the lilies. Look at verse 26. Look around. Look at all the millions and millions of birds that God takes care of every day. And he cares for them. Verse 28. God create the, created the lilies to showcase his beauty. He loves them. He sees them. He cares for them. It says not even Solomon was as finely arrayed as this field of wildflowers is. You ever been to a, a high like mountain meadow where there's all the spring flowers that are coming in and you turn the corner and you just look at them or like a, a field of tulips? You just look around and you go, oh, it's so pretty. And the Lord sees all of that and he cares for all of that. It is his joy to reveal himself and he's a creative, wonderful, beautiful God. What would happen if we lived in a black and white world? That'd be really boring, wouldn't it? And aren't you glad that the Lord just surrounds us with this? Now let's think back to that bread mentioned in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We don't ask God to sell us bread, do we? Or give us this day our daily bread. Give us the bread. Don't sell it to us. Just give it to us. Don't don't make us earn it. We're not asking God to help us earn it. What's the price for this bread? We come before him with humility and we ask him to provide it. Why? 
because God is a benevolent God of providence who takes care of his creation, and especially those who bear his image. Did you not see? Hey, look around. If God takes care of the birds and the flowers and all of these things, will he not also more and more take care of you who are made in his image? You have a unique place. He's going to look after you. The big idea of this passage is really, really simple. If God takes care of the birds, flowers, the fields, why would he not take care of of those who bear his image. Here, Matthew 7, 9 through 11. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I'm trying. Here's what Kevin DeYoung said. Because again, it's easy to get into rhythm on this Lord's Prayer and it just becomes this mindless thing that we do. He says, this isn't a mindless ritual. It's a confession that quote unquote normal life can blow up anytime. That jobs and health and relationships and financial assets and national stability and global peace can be upended very quickly. What is a reminder of is all that we have is under God's provision. And we come to him every single day because life could blow up in an instant. Have you been following what's going on in East Palestine and Ohio? Quiet little rail town. All of a sudden, everything shifted in an instant. In an instant, all of life is derailed. Chemicals everywhere. What are we going to do? Should we stay? Should we go? Everything that we knew up until this point in an afternoon is now upended. Is it safe to live in my house? And we're saying that we come to the Lord in daily provision, asking for his wisdom and his grace. Because what we do is we just focus on what the Lord's given us to today. Because it all could all end, in the, it all end tomorrow. We look at this and we think about this. And God cares about all the mundane details of our lives. And he delights when we come to him by faith and we call him father. And we ask for his provision day by day. It's a joy for our Father to give to us and to provide for us, even the small stuff. We come and say, Lord, please help me in this. What did God give the Israelites in the wilderness in Exodus 16? Terry talked about this. What did he give them? Bread. He gave them bread. What did God also do? He not only gave them bread, what did he do? He walked with them. He was with them all day long. I'm going to shield you from the sun. I'm going to shield you from the cold. I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to be with you. And guess what I'm going to do tomorrow? The same thing over and over and over and over again. God walked with his people in their daily struggles. You think about praying this prayer, and I get it. In America, we love to think that we're these rugged, tough individuals. We don't need anything. And it can be seen as a sign of weakness. It's not a sign of weakness to express your need to God in prayer. It's a sign that you trust him. It's a sign that you realize that you've been adopted into his family by grace and that now you have a loving heavenly father who watches over you every day. And he says, please come and talk to me. What reminder has God given you of his new family that you have by faith? What reminder do we have that we now have a heavenly father and we now have a new family? Pick your head up and look around, ladies and gentlemen. Look at this room. Every one of us by faith, blood-bought sinners, beggars at the gates who have now been brought in by faith alone, through grace alone and Christ alone. This is a reminder. This is it. 
As D.T. Niles famously said, Christianity is just one beggar telling the other beggars where he found the bread. Ladies and gentlemen, look around. This is the sign that the Lord's given you. God provides for his people. And one of the main ways he does this is through the church. The us and our in the Lord's prayer. God doesn't usually mail you a a casserole when life gets hard, does he? But aren't you thankful that he prompts somebody in your church family to bring one over? It's a beautiful thing. That's the us and the hour. We do it together. God has been so kind. He's been so patient. He's been so giving to his people. Don't ever lose sight of that. We take God's love and provision for granted, don't we? But if we really think about it, none of us deserve it, do we? As we've already confessed all the ways that we've rebelled against him. Westminster Larger 193 talks about the fourth petition. It said this, In the fourth petition, which is give us this day our daily bread, acknowledging that in Adam and by our own sin, we have forfeited our right to all the outward blessings of this life and deserve to be wholly deprived of them by God and to have them cursed to us in the use of them. We don't deserve it. Oh, but here's where the gospel comes in. Here's where the good news comes. I've got good news for you. Because it's not just physical bread that God provides for us, is it? Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How do we know that God will be faithful to his promises? Because that word became flesh and dwelt among us to satisfy the real hunger that we all have at the heart level. To fill that hole that we all have. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And do you know what he said about himself? John 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they will be all taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus said, I'm the bread. I'm that bread that's been missing. I'm the thing that's going to crave that hunger at the heart level. He's like, that's me. I'm that bread. Look to me. Look and live. We think about this word providence. Here's what Sproul said. Providence is about God's provision. An integral element of that providence is his provision for the ultimate need for salvation. He provided Jesus, the lamb without blemish, who was crucified for us. So again, we're focusing on the heart of the giver. How do we know? That the heart of the giver is good. How do we know that God is going to be faithful to his word? What reminder has God given us to remember Christ's sacrifice for us? How do we really know that he's that good? Luke 22. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When did Christ sacrifice himself for us? When we were at our most deserving? When we were at our most beautiful? 
When we, were, when we had worked hard enough to finally gain our way in? Is that when Christ died for us? No. And that's why the gospel's good news. After proving to him that we're now worthy of his affection, then and only then did he die for us? No. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you are here and you do not trust Christ by faith, I am so glad that you're here. Really, I am. The only thing that I have is to hold up the bread of life to you. We hold up Jesus Christ and we say, give up your self-salvation project. Throw that old stale piece of bread that you are clinging to on the floor and run to Christ. It's not going to work out the way that you think it is. You think, oh, I can still cling to this. You cannot serve two masters. Run to the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Rest in the Lord. Look to him. Look to Christ. He's the only one. Look to him. Rest in him. Realize that you don't need to go get your life all put together before he's going to love you. That's not the gospel. That's moralism. Jesus doesn't tell you to go take a spiritual shower and pretty yourself up before he'll love you. No. It's the parable of the prodigal son, is it not? Stinking, smelling. The father runs towards him and embraces him. He says, this my son has returned. That's why the gospel's good news. Because it's not about you cleaning yourself up. It's look to Jesus and live. Look to him, rest in him, trust in him. It's the fastball every week. Look to Christ, rest in Christ, trust in Christ. He's that good. It's all of Christ. You think about just how good and kind God has been to us. Put your trust in Christ, not that stale piece of earthly bread that you're so jealously clinging to. Jesus will never fail you. He will never leave you or forsake you, ever. Do you know and trust Jesus Christ by faith alone? Do you know and do you trust and have you tasted this bread of life? Have you? Do you? Are you worried, discouraged, or distressed? Look to Christ. Are you exhausted from trying to do it all yourself? Look to Christ. I'm almost done. John 6, 27 to 29. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set a seal. Then they said to him, what must, be, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him, the one whom he has sent. Look to Christ, rest in Christ, believe in Christ, trust him, he's good. If you're here and you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior by faith alone, cling to the bread of life, cling to Christ, cling to his finished work on the cross on your behalf, and know that in the midst of your, in the midst of your struggling, in the midst of your suffering, know that you love and serve a God who has walked in that before you, and he calls you to follow him. He knows what it's like, and we draw near to him. Cling to the crucified one who hung in your place to secure your undeserved seat at the heavenly banquet without end. Christ's work is finished. His grace, his mercy, and forgiveness are real. Psalm 37, 25. I have been young and am now old and have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Every blessed word of it. Trust Christ. Run to him daily. Find rest for your weary soul. Look to Christ. When he is your daily portion, your heart will finally be full.
The bread of the world's not going to do it. We look to Christ. He's our portion. Let me tell you a quick story. 1904, a woman named Sevilla Martin went to visit an ill and bedridden friend. And as she sat by her bedside, she listened as her friend talked about all of her discouragement and fear from being sick. And as she sat there and she was listening to her friend, her friend also told the story of how in the midst of her just laying in the hospital bed and just being depressed and, am I ever going to get better? She looked up and she saw a sparrow land on, land on the windowsill. She saw a little sparrow. And she remembered that the same God who watched over that sparrow was also watching over her. She drew that from Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Miss Martin went home and penned a poem based on the conversation that she had with her friend. And she later sent it to the composer Charles Gabriel. And the rest is history. You probably know that her words have comforted millions and millions of people ever since. She wrote, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, his constant friend is he. My constant friend is he. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. And I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know what? That he watches me. That poem, that great comfort of this daily care that our Lord gives us, born out of suffering, born out of sickness, but a reminder that as the Lord even watches over the sparrows, he watches over his people. And so I plead with you as we think about this prayer, look to Jesus, rest in Christ, it's not weakness to go with open hands to your father and say, give us this day our daily bread. Give me just what I need. I'll tell you when I remember, I'm not perfect, but when I remember as I'm praying at mealtimes, I ask this, Lord, at breakfast, Lord, just give me what I need from now until lunch. That's it. And I'm at lunch, Lord, help me to be faithful and give me what I need just from now until dinner. At dinner time, Lord, help me to be faithful and give me just what I need from now until the time when I go to bed, just a little bite at a time. Help me just to trust you, just from here to there. And then I wake up and I do it all over again. Give us this day our daily bread, the heart of a good God who loves and cares for his people, and he provides for us every day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercy and your kindness. Lord, we thank you how you do take and provide for us even the small things, the bread of life that we need each day. But yet, Lord, we're thankful that you provided the ultimate bread that we needed. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Everyone who comes and takes of me will never hunger again. And so, Lord, I do pray that if there is anyone here this morning that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, you, by your sovereign mercy, would help them to see their need. That you would help them to see that they can't do it on their own, maybe for the first time. And that they would run and trust in you, run to you, rest in you, trust in you, that your heart is good.
Lord, in these moments, help us to remember that great quote attributed to Spurgeon, that when we cannot trace your hand, we can always trust your heart, and you are good, and you love and care for your people. Thank you. Thank you that you're a good shepherd, and none of your sheep go unnoticed under your good care. Thank you. You're a God of providence and a God of provision. And we pray these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen.